We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. All the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the tweets. Thanks for the shares. Thanks for all the emails. Now, on to my guest for today, Mike Audi founder of Tiki, a new company that aims to help empower people to control their own personal data. He calls such data the raw material of the internet. Mike has long been concerned with how the types of companies he's built software for have been using people's data. In 2020, when more and more people were voicing dissatisfaction with the ways companies have used person's data, he saw a way to make a change, and he came up with a solution. That solution is to flip the paradigm on its head by, by giving the power to the people. Tiki's approach is to build a means for people to control how their data is shared, as well as be able to make money off the data that they choose to share. Tiki's founding principle is that they must be a company that builds loyalty and trust. Therefore, they are making everything about the company public and transparent, from the code they write to their financial statements. They set out to do a beta test with about 1,000 users and ended up with over 120,000 who wanted to sign up to try it out, which, you know, this is still in development, right? Mike recognizes it's an ambitious project and it won't be easy, but he's optimistic. And that's why if he doesn't succeed, they'll be contributing to finding a solution. Even, you know, even if things don't work out, they've got everything in the open source. So now let's get better together. Mike Audi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on. It's uh, it's so cool what you guys are doing over at Tiki. Like, It's rare to actually meet someone, talk with someone who has got this vision for the world 
that sorely needed. And you, you guys have almost got the most perfect timing, I think, in the world, <laughs> given all the <laughs> privacy and personal protective information and, you know, opting out and GDP. I mean, gosh, the whole thing. I mean, I'm not going to ruin it for people what Tiki does, because you will be far better at explaining it than I will. But before we get into all the goodness of that, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Well, you know, when you say timing, it's that's the whole, that's how this all happened. Uh, so this has been, so Tiki was something that had been kicking around in my brain for a while. I've been, so I've been building companies in the data space, the big data space for about a decade, working with billions of data points to engage people um, in positive ways for big brands, small brands, you name it. And something that had always been driving me nuts was legally and ethically, we as people own our data. Yet we have no way to enforce the basic rights of ownership. It'd be like if you owned a car, but Ford decided who drove your car and decided when they leased it out, they took all of the money and they decided to sell it and give you a different one, right? Like we would, nobody would put up with any of that nonsense. Yet that is the world we live in with the data. And it was, it's been driving nuts forever, um, especially since, you know, I've contributed to a lot of doing that by building a lot of this software for these companies. Um, and sometime around mid to end 2020, it started to feel like we could do something about it in terms of for the user. It felt like the timing was now in terms of enough people cared. Um, when you're building something for the end user specifically, especially in the B2C space, the question is, can you get someone to care about your product? Not whether you can build it, not whether you can sell it, not whether you can make money. It all starts with, can you get people to care? And trying to educate 7 billion people is a insane task. So you kind of like hit the timing quite right. And so we started Tiki specifically because we thought the timing was right. And so we did things a little backwards because of that mentality. We put the idea on the internet and just ask people, do y'all care if we were to go and do this? If we build this, would you install it? Would you use it? And it exploded um, from that. But it really all started with just, we thought the timing was great. Um, there was a whole bunch of different things that happened, like 30 million people leaving WhatsApp over a privacy policy change. Like that was unprecedented. People had never voted with their feet before. And that's when we were like, okay, we can really do something about this. Yeah. I mean, again, so much of PR marketing is timing. And everyone's like, oh, I'm just going to go viral and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, well you got to catch that wave. <laughs> I mean, like you said, if no one cares, did you really build anything? <laughs> no, honestly, it's like, you know, if a, if no one cares about your product, does it really exist? Because it's true. It's, it's such a hard thing. I mean, we were talking before we started a little bit about how really, you know, anyone can pretty much build anything. It's really about the story of that thing that you're building. And do people care about it enough to, first give you their attention and second give you their their money or whatever metric you're using and so why don't you I, just go ahead i'd love to actually comment on that yeah sure because sure. it's something that i'm insanely passionate about and something crazy we did at tiki um we open sourced everything we do a hundred percent of it our code our designs who's investing in the company our roadmap what we're building why we're building it it's all public um because Building trust and building a story and a narrative and connecting with the people when you're building technology for them 
that all felt like it was more important than some trade secret because anyone can build anything. If you worry about somebody copying your code, they're going to copy your code, whether it's private or not private. Um, and so we took an entirely different approach out of the box in public made everything we do entirely public. And we do like weird things like we refuse to sign NDAs because everything at our company is public. So we don't sign NDAs with companies. We don't do any, everything is public. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a different way to do things. That's for sure. Wow, man. <laughs> that's, this is the ultimate build in public thing. I mean, that's, which is a pretty, I mean, which is a movement. I mean, a lot of people have the open, was it the open finance? I don't remember the name of that. There's a platform that like you can share your SaaS metrics and you know, like, hey, right. this is my revenue, you know, anyway, build, the build in public seems like a way to really have that transparency and build that trust. Cause it's, trust seems to be one of those commodities that uh, hard to earn, easy to lose. And I think is very scarce nowadays. I think yeah. I mean, some numbers came out and, 2020 and 21 about how trust has never been lower, particularly in the technology sector. And a funny story of when we were getting this thing up and going, I was uh, pitching the idea to some early VCs that I knew, Hey, what do you think about me doing something like this? And they were like, all right, so what's your key, your competitive differentiator? You know, I'm like, well, we're going to open source. something." like, you're crazy. And they're like, so how are you going to like build a moat? And if you're open sourcing everything, I said, trust. And they just laughed me out of the room. They're like, nobody cares about trust in Silicon Valley. Like Facebook has never done better before. And have you seen their trust numbers? Um, but I entirely disagree. And people, us as consumers, we actually do disagree. The more I talk to people about it, the more it resonates with it. While the financials haven't caught up yet, that's because everybody's playing in the same crappy sandbox right now. There isn't somebody who's building a competitive differentiator with trust. But trust creates loyalty. And a loyal following is... I mean, just ask Apple, right? Like that's that's how you build a brand. That's how you win um, in the long term. It's how you build sustainable growth, not you know short, rapid growth. Because someone's going to come and knock your idea off, no matter what, and they're going to do it, and they're going to have more money than you probably. And they're probably going to write less buggy code than you, and so you better have something else to compete. Yeah, I mean that's like the whole clubhouse thing, right? Like clubhouse comes out. I mean, interesting idea. Then how many people copy clubhouse? All of them. <laughs> All of them, right? I mean, and yeah, of course, they maybe not have done it as well as they could have. It's probably more buggy or whatever. But again, anyone can build anything. What are you really competing on? And do you know go? Do you know who Pep Laya is? I don't. Uh, he runs a he runs CXL. <coughs> and he also runs uh, Winter, and I'm a big fan of him. I actually had him on the podcast early on before Winter was Winter. I remember what it was called. It was some you know, like copy testing or something like that. But anyway, his whole philosophy is, you know, you compete on brand. You don't compete on your product because everyone's got pretty much the same product within reason. Okay. Yeah. There's some people that don't, right. Okay. Yeah. There's always an exception, but when you're product first story, first building who you are, what you're trying to build is, you know, out there in the world and you're trying to like, do some good, then people really resonate with that. And I think you're right. I honestly think, you know, people may think I'm crazy, but I think Facebook's going to go down. <laughs> I don't see, I mean, they're rebranding their name. They're going to change their name soon. I think, I, you know, it's only a matter of time when you piss off enough people, they'll be like, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. And 
how, so we haven't even talked about what Tiki does. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what Tiki does? Cause we're like kind of, we're, we're teasing it a little bit, but yeah, yeah. Give us the nickel cool. tour of Tiki. <laughs> so Tiki, Tiki is what we call a user data ownership platform. And it comes out of a very simple principle. You as a user own your data, both legally and ethically. It's in millions of terms of services. It's in GDPR, CCPA, HIPAA laws. Everywhere says people own their data. Um, but we have no way of enforcing or executing those rights. And when we think about ownership, there's really a couple of basic tenets that apply to everything. And we call them see, control, and monetize. Um, lawyers have fancier words and bigger sentences. But what it really means is you can see your data. You can control how it's used, who has it, what they do with it. You can edit it, update it, delete it, et cetera. And one of the most often overlooked rights of ownership is the right to earn income from the good, which means you own your data. If you want to sell your data, you should be able to. You should be able to sell it to companies you choose for reasons that you decide. And we actually believe this kind of unlocks the whole picture, right? So it all starts with an app where you can link your accounts and you can see what data companies are collecting. You can see your digital footprint, basically, as you're traveling across the internet, who's got what data on you, what they're doing with it, why they're doing it. And then it looks like Tinder. You can swipe left and swipe right to make choices on how companies use your data. We build a prioritized list. You can swipe left to turn off facial recognition software in Facebook. You can swipe right to monetize your YouTube data. And the reason for monetization in this aspect is it gives people incentive. Otherwise, we'd all just opt out of everything. But the second you say, well, I can sell my anonymous Netflix watch history for a couple bucks a month to Disney. Okay, that helps pay my Netflix bill, especially if it's anonymous, it's secure, it's safe, all of the, all of the wonderful buzzwords around that. And so the whole point of Tiki is giving you full ownership of your data. You get to choose what happens with it. It's an entirely different view of data, a view of data that starts with the user, where the user decides what happens to their data, what goes on with their data, how it works. and the big, big excitement around it is actually this marketplace of data because it solves a problem that we're having in the privacy space right now. We have two conflicting issues. Companies believe they're in charge of your data and they decide what happens to your data. Users legally own it and they're fighting for more, more privacy and more control. But every time they do that, all that happens is companies lose some data and they get upset and they work around and build shadier sketchier practices to collect more data, right? Um, the story that came out of PNG was that they invested $100 million in China to basically build workarounds to Apple's ATT changes, right? Like that's the kind of sketchy stuff that ends up happening because there isn't a fair, transparent market where the users decide, okay, I'm comfortable sharing my data with this company. And we at Tiki actually believe that should all happen anonymously which protects both the users and the companies. You can actually look at all of data and perform all the same types of analyses and insights and AI, except anonymously, um, which gives them cover because they're not going to stop getting hacked, right? That's never going to happen. Yeah, they're going to keep true, yeah. getting hacked. Yeah, it's going to so only giving get worse. them sensitive data is like yeah, crazy, it's only right? Get like, worse. Yeah. yeah, so that protects the buyer, the company, and it protects the seller. And it allows you as an open market, right? Fair, transparent market, you decide. You dictate the terms. If you don't want personalized ads, you don't have to have personalized ads. You want to sell it to a company that you trust and believe in because you think that they're going to make better products with your data? Great, do it. <laughs> and so it's all about giving the user choice. You decide what happens. What a novel concept. <laughs> 
It's like the most simple concept ever, right? Oh, <laughs> Just, well, the mo- well, but the simple ideas are usually the hardest ones to execute and usually the ones that are the most successful in the long term, especially, you know, clear, concise and compelling stories. I mean, there's not a person on the planet wouldn't be like, yeah, it's my data. I own it. But it gets kind of muddled. I mean, to your point about the little uh, what, software, SLA, software licensing agreements and these thousand, what feels like a thousand pages to read through of legalese, jargon, buzzword, bingo, bullshit, honestly. You just click okay. No one reads that shit. I mean, no one. I mean, no one. <laughs> when when you remember, I think there was like when you had to opt in on Apple. Now you had to opt in on to to, to tracking or whatever. Like, I think it was like ninety percent of the people didn't opt in. <laughs> They're like, because no. why would you? <laughs> well, 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 yeah, but then you're like, well, how come I? How come this wasn't the way it was before? How come I didn't have to opt in before? Why was it by default? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like this, I think even on your website, you say, you know, data is the new gold or like the new oil or the new gold rush, especially for this generation, as you mentioned, you know, it's like these, the the millennial and the Gen Z, I mean, us old Gen X guys. Okay. Yeah. We, you know, we were at the birth of the dawn of the internet, you know, back when the the Tyrannosaurus Rex ruled the earth and you had to dial up and stuff and no one knew who the hell you were. Um, But nowadays, this gets more and more. I mean, even in fact, I think this whole private, you know, data protection and privacy, which my actual fiance does a little bit with, she works at Cisco and it's a big deal for them. I mean, imagine, you know, Cisco, pretty much every packet on the internet goes through a Cisco router or a piece of software. I mean, this packet, us talking through (laughs) through Zoom (laughs) is probably going through a Cisco router, but just imagine how much data those guys have. And not only that, just imagine the ecosystem and like, you know, it's so challenging because there's so many pieces of, of the puzzle, so many data sharing agreements, you know, even when you get the pixel to track things and like, you're like, oh, I looked up, you know, um, freeze-dried food on the internet and Instagram just <laughs> be an ad for more freeze-dried food. You're like, huh, how did it, how did it know that? Ah, uh, uh, I know why. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> how does this work? How, how do you do something like this? Cause this is like one of those big, bold ideas that are like game changing. It's a game changing idea. And it only continues to, I mean, this is only going to get more and more important. Like the, yeah, you know, the, yeah. I the, mean, the cows out of the barn. <laughs> yeah. This could keep going, you know. This is not. We're not. We're not putting. Yeah, we're not putting the genie back in the bottle when it comes to data. No, right? no, no, you no. Know, the joke I often say is, you know, if you think of data like data is the currency of the internet. Well, how would you feel if five companies owned all of the currency in the world? Because that's basically the reality of what we're living in now. That'd be a really terrible place, right? If like Mark Zuckerberg just owned all of the world, that would be pretty bad, right? That's roughly, that's the direction we're headed in, right? And so I don't well, like that the, future. <laughs> the FAGMA or FANGA, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and one, I don't remember, FANGA. Isn't that the FANGA companies pretty much own all the data sure. in the world? Yeah, anyway. the, the big five, right? The they own five, all yeah. of the data, in which case... I don't know. Like, that's not great. Like if five companies owned all of the money in the world, that would not be good. Well, that is what we're talking about. And it's not going to get better. I mean, just imagine what's going to happen when quantum really takes off and genetic engineering starts happening. These are all technologies that are fueled by data. 
They're mm-hmm. all they, they're just based on data. It's the raw material for the internet. And so we have to find a way to put that power back in people's hands. And the we think we could just do it by one really simple thing. Just flip the paradigm on its head. Instead of them choosing, let users choose. That's all. I mean, yes, we have to build some really crazy stuff to make that possible because you have to basically go back and rebuild all of the infrastructure that was once upon a time built the other way, right? Um, you know, simple things like typical SDKs and plugins and stuff we'd use. You can't use any of that stuff because it's all built on a different model where the companies choose what happens to your data. But, you know, that's all. You can cross all of those bridges. It's just effort. Um, you can actually just look at the world from a different view. It's just a different angle to look at the same problem. If you let the user choose, it's basically opt in, not opt out, which is the exact opposite of how it is today. You don't just collect stuff on people. You don't just be like, oh, well, we as Facebook thought that this would be good for us. So we're just going to do it. You have like you have to tell the user, hey, we would like to do this. Do you want to participate? <laughs> right? Like it's it's not crazy. It's, it's not complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. We didn't need 40-page legal agreements. We didn't need buzzwords and jargon and technical this and that. It's not complicated to explain to somebody, would you like Facebook to track your face? They're saying they would like to use it because they want to auto-tag you in pictures. It's also been used in for in criminal cases, it's been used in subpoenas, it's been used to do different types of ad targeting. Yeah. So yeah, up yeah, to you, yeah. you choose. But any person can understand that and make a choice. Like, yes, maybe you want tagging. Maybe you don't. But it's not at me to decide what's right for you. It's not for Facebook to decide what's right for you. It's for you to decide what's right for you. Yeah. And uh, to totally, that's so, yeah. I, I forgot about the whole facial recognition. They were even using that for to look at like child porn too. Like some weird, I mean, not, that's not, I mean, granted, like <laughs> that's, that's bad, obviously, but like, Apparently the hit rate on that was pretty sketchy. Like it, it, it's, it's just there are enough false positives to be worried. <laughs> yeah. Worrisome, very worrisome. And I think they stopped doing it actually. Um, because yeah, it was, it was Apple with the CSAM stuff and they, right, ended up Apple, hunting, right. they ended up punting that feature out. It was supposed to be an iOS 15 and there was so much blowback from people who were like, wait a minute, you're scanning all my photos to look for this thing that is known to be buggy. And if it does trigger this, it goes to the government to then look through all my pictures. Like, uh, hold on, time out. (laughs) Bad. Well, yeah, because again, any like noble cause, that stuff's horrible. We should get, we should get rid of it, but you just can't leave it to the machine. Cause Because, you know, as you know, you're a technologist guy, you, you know a lot about technology. So like one little bug, <laughs> the whole thing can just blow up and blow up in a way that like you can't control it. I don't know. And yeah. that's just a very slippery slope. It's so, and they just did it. They just did it. They, you didn't have to opt into that. Yeah, it was just going to be in iOS 15. Um, until it went public and people made such a shit snarl about it, it was just going to be in everyone's iPhone going forward. And that's not the type of thing that goes back. Like once that's in there, it goes from that to, I don't know, identifying pictures of guns or identifying pictures of hate speech or identifying anything. And it's just like one turns into another, which turns into another. And then all of a sudden there's some central authority who's deciding what you can have pictures of on your phone. And uh, and now we're in trouble, right? Because who's in charge of that? Who's deciding what's right and wrong to have pictures, right? It's just, it's a very slippery slope. Yeah, it is. It is very much so. 
So how's the traction been on this? I mean, I mean, I want to sign up. <laughs> Please do. You can sign uh, up at mytiki.com. Um, cool. And it blew up, honestly. It took off. So we started the company effectively January 1st. We incorporated December 2020, um, put together some story, and put it on a website. And stuck it on the internet. That's basically it. And we started doing a little marketing. You know, I funded on my personal checking account to start with, and I'm very poor. So we were, this was not like a heavy funded budget of anything. I mean, we're talking a couple hundred bucks a month type of funding and marketing. And it went, you know, it just blew up. Uh, We worked with a couple TikTok influencers of all things out of the gate. That's what worked best. And um, within about five months, four or five months, we had 125,000 people sign up for to participate in the beta, right? Like we were hoping for a thousand people. We ended up with 125,000 people. And so- yeah, so ah. now we're like playing catch up. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you run a beta with a hundred thousand people? Like, uh, like that ain't beta, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's just so many people. I, I, I was talking to another guy. He wrote. He wrote that he has an app called Official, and Official is an app for couples. So you know, you've got Tinder and Coffee Meets Bagel, and you know, eHarmony for finding a mate. But then you know, their business model breaks down. Like, well, once I have a mate. I don't need you anymore. And so he's like, well, what happens when you're a couple? Like that's long-term value. Right. And so it's called official. And um, it was funny as we were talking about it the other day and he's just like, yeah, we, our first beta blew up. Servers went down. (laughs) We said, okay, stop. (laughs) We've tried to, we fixed it. We did it again, broke again (laughs) because There was so much demand for this thing that you're like, what a great idea. So yeah, wow. Yeah. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you do a beta with a hundred thousand? I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah. And it's a, it's a big challenge because we have to build everything kind of from the ground up and from scratch because you can't just use simple stuff. And so this is it's not a simple application. People are trusting us with their data. It's all open source. So it's got to be built to the most rigorous of all security standards. It's got to be built in a way that is truly 100% anonymous. How do you run a beta with anonymous people, right? Like how do you how do you get feedback? And how do you turn that feedback into positive, you know, outcomes? And how do you engage with the community? And there's just a lot of challenges along the way that we've been just trying to just plug in through, right? Just be upfront, communicate with people, express what we're doing. And we built a model that's just different where we collect zero data about people. Everybody on Tiki is 100% anonymous. We have no data of theirs. It's all built to run at the edge on your phone, encrypted. So instead of it being an essentialized server anywhere, we were very worried. We took this actually from the signal guys. The government would come yeah. and subpoena you, right? Yeah. If you have data. And yeah. so the only way to ensure that we don't have to give up users' data and privacy was to ensure that we don't have it, which makes you very virtually unhackable because hack us, we have nothing. You can't have any data because we don't have any data. It's on people's phones. And so it's a distributed system that all runs on people's edge devices. And it uses a very crazy new type of blockchain that we created to mint NFTs. Yeah, I was going to ask you about NFTs. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my first NFT. NFT. How cool is this? (laughs) I've been looking into this NFT thing. It's I know it's wacky. But boy, what a great idea. Like, yeah, I mean, everyone's like, NFTs. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's it. But, but the thing that's interesting about it, right? This whole like, because this is so I, 
I've been, I've done a lot of IOT stuff, right? Internet of things, industrial mm-hmm. internet of things, smart home, consumer medical device, like hardware, taking data, processing into centralized thing. And the problem we always had in IOT and every single IOT device has got this problem. It's if you can't talk back to the mothership, which happens a lot, it's shocking that people think, well, just hook to the internet. Well, no, actually it's really hard sometimes to connect to the internet. If you're in the middle of nowhere, you're in a building or whatever, you had to have like a tiered approach to how the data was going to be processed, um, sometimes packetized. So Sometimes what we do on the edge device, on on the device itself or on the phone was compress the data, look at it or whatever. And then, of course, you know, we would do the analysis back on the server because we had to collect it because it was for like the temperature of a box or something. Um, But this whole edge processing, this whole idea, God, that's so cool. So you guys build NFTs for each user. We build an NFT for each data point. So we've created a way to make billions of NFTs at fractions of a penny each, all on the phone at the edge. So we actually wrote a new type of blockchain that runs locally on your phone and uses a second blockchain in the cloud to synchronize it in case you break or lose your phone. So that allows us to mint you thousands of NFTs a day directly on your phone. Because when a company goes to buy your data, what they're effectively doing through a smart contract is licensing access to your data. They're not mm. buying it because a license is finite. It has terms. Mm. You can license it for one time. You can license the access for a year. You can license access. If this happens or that happens with a smart wow. contract, if they don't pay or they do something wrong, it terminates their access to your data. Right, and so right, companies right, right. are licensing access to millions of different data points, like a composite image. So it's all of these little NFTs are all their own little ownership because an NFT is just a digital record. All it is is ownership of something. It's like a receipt or a deed or a title, right? It's just this piece of virtual paperwork that says you own this thing. And so all we did was make it so you could have ownership of your data points. And because of that ownership, you can now license it. And once, just like if you own, if you wrote a song and you own the master copy to the song, you can license it out. Same concept, but for data. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's the basis of how the marketplace works. And yeah, it was cool. It's different, but it's complicated to build because you got to build all on the phone and that was not it was not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> no, no, no. We always had that problem with IoT devices, right? Computing at the edge is a whole other level of sophistication and actually more of a skill because a lot of times you use some of these like you know Python libraries that run on a Linux box or something, and they're just bloat. They're bloated beyond bloated. Yeah. <laughs> so bad, so bad. <laughs> it's like you know I you know everyone knows I used to do semiconductor physics. Like that was my job, building chips and. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the software guys would always <laughs> be amazed at how, like, you know, we're pushing transistors and making sure that these little things are small and the, the power, all this sort of. Gosh, this is so complicated. I go, yeah, well, because you guys are hogs, and you want like more MIPS or whatever, and right? We, you know, that costs us power, bro. That costs us real estate. That you know, eight by eight multiplication thing you just did is this big on that chip. Well, I mean, you can't see it, but this big on that chip and it costs you some power there, bro. Wow. So this is like probably the most, this is the first NFT application I've heard of that I, that makes sense to me. I mean, <coughs> well, <laughs> I love the whole like digital ownership and getting like creators paid. And I like the fact that you can, um, have authenticity, you know, like you can 
track the pedigree of a certain thing. And mm-hmm. it just, it sort of doesn't, you know, who owns what, and that's really cool because there's a lot of, you know, intellectual property fiasco just globally, like how that all works. So man, that is so cool. And this is all open source, all open source. So someone could build Tiki for themselves if they wanted to. Sure. Go for it. Have at it. I might copy your code. Maybe you wrote better code than mine, right? If you fix my bugs, I'll use your code. I don't care. <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's just ideas are just ideas. I'll have another one tomorrow, right? They're just ideas. And so we're just doing it and building it and putting it out there for people and growing it. You know, our competitive differentiator is building loyalty with people. It's actually, eventually it becomes the more data you aggregate, the more of these NFTs you issue, you build a huge network effect because yeah, the more data, yeah, yeah. the more value everybody's data becomes, which means more people want to come there because they're going to earn more money from their data on your platform, which creates more data. Um, and so you become really, you know, you're effectively, your moat is based on how many people contribute to it and how many people use it, yeah. not based on whether or not somebody can copy the technology. It's closer like Wikipedia, right? You or, can just copy or you, Wikipedia, or, yeah. or you, it'll be outdated you, the second you do. <laughs> right, right. Or or Ubuntu or, you know, yeah, what anything they, like that. Yeah. Anything like that where it's really in the community building a infrastructure that's kind of a universal. I mean, that's what Linux, you know, that's what Linux was, right? Like, how cool is it that you can, you know, for free use this unit Linux kernel or and build pro i mean the internet runs on linux right i mean it's like if 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 they didn't out you know, if they didn't open source that i don't think we you know you know we probably wouldn't be talking on zoom right now <laughs> good luck trying to do this on a sequel <laughs> like uh, you know like with some sequel servers and some azure like oh my god <laughs> yeah. good good luck running it on like yeah oh, like one of yeah, those net, dot net servers <laughs> oh my god like couldn't imagine right like Thank you. Thank you, Linux. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Linux. Right. Um, wow. So NFTs for your user data, everything's anonymized. Apparently, I mean, clearly as a user, you have a wallet with all your NFTs in it. And then you can build smart contracts to sell your data to who you want to, completely anonymous. And I guess you get paid because you're the owner of the NFT, the smart contract says this NFT gets this and that gets popped in your account and Bob Jungle. <laughs> bango, bango. You get money, right? Like that's it. Wow. And what's the government have to say about this? Have you guys run into any of that kind of stuff yet? Or No, no one's called us yet. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I like. I'm not, I am and I'm not worried, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll start by doing exactly the same thing that the signal guys did. You send mm-hmm. us a subpoena. We say, well, we don't have any data. And then post the subpoena on the internet and say, ha and see what happens after that. Um, it will maybe eventually turn into an issue. The story that actually spooked me the most recently was, I don't know if you've seen what happened with ProtonMail. The ProtonMail yeah. is an anonymous email service. Yep. Um, the government basically forced ProtonMail to build technology to track IP addresses, um, which I didn't know the government could do. Um, somebody told me, yes, they can actually make you make stuff. Um, I didn't know that they could do that, but the government forced ProtonMail to build technology to track users because they didn't track IP addresses. Yep. That was yep. part of their offering was we never track IP addresses and they never did. 
The government showed up one day and was like, no, you have to start doing this. And so they started doing it. And then the second they started doing it, they subpoenaed them for the records that they forced them to track, which then let them go and find one of their users, um, which was crazy and scary because I've been, you know, so far been like, we don't have any data. You can't get it from us. But if they forced us to do something, I think we'd have to move the company. Like, I think, I don't know, we'd go to like the Caribbean or something. I don't know what we would do because we're never going to give up user data. We're not going to build technology to track users. Um, but I didn't know the co- government in the United States could tell well, you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not familiar with that particular law. I'm sure it's some, you know, homeland security thing or whatever. But like what, what Apple does is Apple encrypts your data. This is what they say. <laughs> Apple encrypts your data. So even if they get subpoenaed, you can't, they can't decrypt it. Correct. So it would have to be, the government would have to subpoena the person they're actually trying to get at. But they, even if they subpoenaed the data that Apple had for you, like on iCloud, if it's encrypted, it's encrypted. And you're like, I can't open it. Yeah. So that has been, that's the standard to date. Um, Mm -hmm. And now ProtonMail, I believe, is in Switzerland. So this is not the United States that this happened in. They're, Correct. they're they in are. Europe somewhere. They're in Switzerland. Um, but it would be like if the U.S. government forced Apple to build a backdoor into the encryption. Mm. And then they subpoenaed mm. Apple saying, okay, let us in the backdoor that we forced you to build. Mm. Right? Um, as opposed to, right? Because ProtonMail was like, hey, it's all encrypted. We don't have this data. And then the government showed up and said, no, no, no. You write code now to make it so you have this thingy. And then they leveraged that piece that they made them built. Um, so yeah, it would be like them showing up and forcing Apple to build a backdoor into the encryption that happens today. Now that's never happened in the United States, right? So uh, to my knowledge, maybe it has, I don't know. Oh I'm yeah, not maybe, because they're that, a, but... maybe because they're a foreign entity in order to do business here, they made them. There, there's some, got to be some loophole Well, somewhere. I think the Swiss government forced them to build it and then the Swiss government is the one who subpoenaed them. Right? Oh. It, was, it didn't happen in the US. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, because so every Swiss, country's got their own laws, but yeah, the Swiss governments, I think they Swiss. were generally good about that, but I guess not anymore. I guess you just can't know. have your Swiss bank that, account anymore. <laughs> that story was super scary to me. Yeah. Right? When yeah, I found yeah, yeah. out that somebody could make you make technology to track people, I was like, wait a minute. Because I thought the workaround was simply just don't track them. Um, but oh, yeah. don't collect so, it. Yeah. If yeah. You if you don't collect, collect it, it you yeah. can't have it. Right. Like yeah. I don't have something to give you. I will gladly you subpoena me for our user data. I'll give you what we have. There is none of it. We yeah. don't have any of it. We don't track it. It's on your on their phones. Go to them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is I mean, this is going to be a really interesting thing because data protection and privacy is a big deal. Personal, you know, PPI or PII, personal identifiable information is a huge deal. There's lots of companies getting sued over this. There's GDPR. There's like, there's even some things where, you know, I didn't opt into that. So you can't use my data for some other use. And if I didn't opt into it beforehand, you can't make me opt into it after. Like there's, there's a very complicated um, sea of laws and people are really trying to fight this, you know, who owns your data, right? Because you're right. I mean, it's your data. (laughs) You should be able to do with it what you want. So. Right. And what you just said, like, that's all you need to know. It's your data. Like no one, like, this is the thing, like people can argue like, Hey, you know, the company or the government wants your data, but they still say it's your data, which implies that you own it. Right. Like good point. Good point. We want your data. Oh, so then it's mine. Like we've already established ownership. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a very tricky, that's a tricky, tricky thing. I love that. I love that. So um, what questions do you think the next generation of entrepreneurs should ask themselves as they sort of get on the journey? What do you think? Why? Why you're doing it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways. There's so many easier ways to make money than doing this, right? <laughs> this is not easy, uh, right? Preaching to the choir, man. Preaching <laughs> to the choir. You know, and even like a lot of people I hear are like, eh, I don't want to work for someone else. I don't know that that's a good enough reason. That's a good reason to want to be an entrepreneur, but it's not a good reason why to pick this idea over another idea, right? Um, mm-hmm. You want to pick something that you believe is really important and matters absolutely to you. Um, that you're willing to go to the ends of the earth to make happen. Not only is that the only way to really be successful, it's also the only way to make it worthwhile your time, right? Like, again, the amount of hours you're going to put into something is not going to be worth the reward on the other side of it. So you have to be doing it for reasons other than money. You have to be doing it because you think it's something that has to happen. Um, and so it's got to be something you truly believe more than anything else. Right, right, right. Yeah, strong why. Strong why. That's a very good one. I, I mean, I say that all the time and we, lot, lots of, you know, a lot of people that I interview have that same kind of attitude about it because the road is long and treacherous, <laughs> treacherous. I can't even say that right now. And a lot of zigs and zags. So, wow. A lot, this is, a lot of downs along the way. Yeah, a lot yeah, of downs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think this is such a great idea, honestly. And you know, wish you so much luck because this is something someone's got to solve. Might as well be you guys. <laughs> we'll try it. And in worst case scenario, all our codes out there. So someone else can pick up where we left off. Right. Like that's, that's how you, that's how you build things. That's how you build forward progress. Right. You take that your whack true. at it, you build it, do the best you can. And then somebody else comes along and builds on top of it. Right. We're all standing yeah. on the shoulders of giants. hundred percent. hundred percent. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Good luck with Tiki and uh, stay safe. Thank you. Thanks, Mike, for a great interview. Uh, what you're doing is super cool and, and definitely uh, paradigm shifting, as they say. So uh, good luck with that. Now, here are the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Mike. Building trust with your customers is essential, no matter what your industry. Tiki's approach to building trust is by being completely transparent in everything they do. Mike sees this as their brand differentiator. And I've talked a little bit about this before where um, product is basically a commodity and you got to compete on brand and storytelling. Um, This is one of those things, right, where I think it's so essential to have a really good trust, especially what they're doing, right? Taking your data and then uh, commoditizing it through blockchain and uh, NFTs and then having you be able to license it to someone to use. So, yeah, trust is super important. Mike recommends that aspiring entrepreneurs ask themselves what's motivating them and cautions that the motivation must be strong enough to see you through the challenges and difficult periods. Like many of my other guests, Mike's advice is to make sure you have a passion for what you're doing and to be motivated by more than just money, right? So true. There's going to be lots of times where the the money just won't be there. So you got to make sure you have that really strong internal why that we always talk about. Sometimes the market needs time to catch up with your idea. Recognizing when it is the right time can be critical, but also be willing and ready to take the leap when it does feel right. Once Mike saw the time was right for his idea, he started soliciting feedback. And seeing there was indeed tremendous interest, he acted quickly to lay the foundation for Tiki. So yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot in the PR world, right? You got to 
catch the wave, right timing, right place. A lot of this stuff is actually a little bit of luck, but also really important on timing. So if you are a little too early with your idea, um, it could be a slog, right? There's been plenty of times. I think I've told lots of times where I've had ideas that just haven't been ready for the market, but got to know the timing, read the tea leaves, so to speak. <laughs> so there you have it. As promised, the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Mike. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.